0: I'm just glad I don't have to know everything, you know. (laughs) Um, But I can tell you some things that the Lord has shown me, and that's that's really what I want to do is talk to you about a few things this morning that is really on my heart. So I don't really want to preach this morning or try to teach, although I have a tendency to try to do that because, you know, it's sort of what you do, but, yeah. But I'm going to try to... Just uh, not get too preachy on you, and just try to share sort of a testimony, but you know, sort of cloak it in uh, Bible verses and that kind of thing. It makes it a little bit more teachable, you know. I like the Bible, okay. I like teaching and I like preaching. I like to understand things from the Bible. It sort of helps define my life. So that's that's why why we do that. I think. Uh, the first uh, scripture is uh, Matthew 6.10. Uh, I've got it up there, but if you want to open your Bible to there, that, would, that works too. In fact, I noticed last week when Matthew was sharing, he couldn't get the computer to work, so he had everybody open their Bibles. And I forgot that little sound that you hear when people open Bibles in a room. You ever notice that little sound you hear all people opening their pages of the Bible? I like that sound. Okay, It's a good sound. Um, something we need to do on a personal level, too, though. Uh, well, this is a part of Jesus' prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And uh, I guess what I have felt, um, and I think this is probably pretty true in the last couple years anyway, I feel like God has really tried in the church to um, get the church, get Christians to start thinking about this verse. This verse and start thinking about what, you know, the answer to this verse is God's kingdom being released into the earth, uh, the kingdom of heaven. And I think that's a pretty general theme that's been in the church in the last couple of years, that God has really tried to release and reveal in the church. And I think it's really important, uh, because that's really what, you know, as we go to the end of the age, it's so important that the kingdom of heaven is made real on earth. It's just not just, just prayer and just... Uh, this is something Jesus meant to happen or He would not have given us this. So I think God is starting to emphasize it more. And so a couple of years ago, I really began to really pray about the kingdom of heaven and really seek the Lord about it because I realized, although I knew a lot of biblical knowledge about the kingdom of heaven, I didn't really feel like in my heart I had stuff that was really real in me about the kingdom of heaven. I felt like most of my... I felt like I had a lot of head knowledge about it, but not a lot of heart knowledge. So, um, and there's a big difference, as you know, between head knowledge and heart knowledge. Because head knowledge uh, informs us of things, which that's, I'm not against head knowledge. I like head knowledge, but heart knowledge is what really transforms our lives. That's really the transformation power. Is when the truth becomes real in your heart. Everybody knows this, but I'm just going to say it again because it's I, it's just so important. When the truth becomes real in your heart, then your life is transformed. I grew up believing that Jesus was the Son of God, but I was living opposite of you know what I live today. Uh, yeah, Amen. <laughs> was she was Amen and the Was. But when the truth became a reality, a heart reality to me, my life changed. And so I sort of what I really wanted. God to do for me about the kingdom of heaven. I wanted, I wanted this thing to be real to me, Lord. I want it to be real. I mean, what, is it, what does this really mean? What is the kingdom of heaven? You know, what does it? what's the real essence of this thing called the kingdom of heaven? So, uh, so I started really praying about it and really started studying the Bible and found out some really fan, uh, but, uh, fascinating facts about the kingdom of heaven in the Bible. Real fascinating. In fact, that term, kingdom of heaven, only appears in one, one book in the Bible. is the Gospel of Matthew. It's the only place where that term, the kingdom of God is used all throughout the Bible. But the kingdom of heaven is only found in the book of Matthew. I think it's like 13 times. And if you go in Matthew and you study Matthew, of course, everybody knows that Matthew, uh, his whole focus of the book was to convince the readers that Jesus Christ truly is the king. You know that's the focus. You know the symbol for Matthew is the line, the line of the tribe of Judah. It was that was really his whole focus. So if you read it un, with that understanding, you start sort of getting this this hint of what where he's going. Uh, but you know there's these things called the mystery parables of the kingdom, okay, of the kingdom of heaven in Matthew. Matthew 13 has several parables in it, starting with the parable of the sower. And in fact, that's what Jesus said in Matthew 13. He said. The, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven that's what he said so he was saying the kingdom of heaven really is a mysterious thing it's a mystery that it was a big mystery to me a couple of years ago and it's still a mystery on a different level okay so he really and so he gave all these parables remember like the parable the pearl of great uh the per, the, the pearl of, of great price is a parable he said the kingdom of heaven is like a guy who, you know, a merchant looking for a pearl of great price. The kingdom of heaven is like a guy who threw a dragnet into the sea. The kingdom of heaven was like a, a mustard seed that was planted and grew up and became a tree. You know, the kingdom of heaven was like a man who planted seeds and then his enemy came in and planted some tares in his field. You know, it, all these parables were meant. Jesus, What Jesus was doing was was communicating these parables and using this veiled language... Uh, about these trying, to, so so people who had spiritual ears could really hear what he was saying. That's what parables are for. That's what Jesus said. He was he, he hid it from people. So the kingdom of heaven is something that's not given to you know it's just not thrown out there for everybody to easily grasp it. That was the way God designed it. It's, it's he designed it so that it's a mystery. It's something that has to be searched out and looked for. That was the whole thing about the parable—the of the guy who, you know, who searched for this pearl. He looked for it, and when he found it, he sold everything to have it. That—that that was the whole thing. So I have like, you know, 13 tremendous messages on the kingdom of heaven from wherever it's at in the Matthew in the Gospel of Matthew. I have 13 tremendous messages about the kingdom of heaven is like. The only problem with all those 13, you'd like to be able to preach something that's real to you. You know what I'm saying? You understand why you like to be a priest of that? This is real. I got I got something real inside of me about this that's alive and some revelation on it. And so I had to sort of can my 13 messages, you know, because it wasn't that real to me. It was just, just information. But needless to say, God uses that kind of thing in a man's life. He uses us searching. See, that's the thing. That's the search. That's the search. And you see the prayer, praying, Lord, I really want to know about the kingdom of heaven, searching the word of God out, looking in it and seeing what it says and not really feeling like you're getting anything, but it, that's really what really brings you to a place where God can give you revelation. So the Lord, you know, gave me some of that, and that's what I want to share with you. All right, First John 3, 8. He who sins is of the devil. Now, that's an interesting little phrase there. This is off the subject. But did you know, according to this verse, when you sin, you're of the devil? You know? <laughs> when you commit a sin, you are committing something, you're doing something that's not of God, it's of the character of the devil. That's pretty like, whoa. So when you, next time when you feel like you want to sin, think, boy, if I do that, I'm doing something of the devil. You <laughs> know? That sort of, I think some people in this room didn't like that. But I didn't write this, okay? I did not decide that was the truth. Somebody else did. I'm just telling you what he said. You know, he who sins is of the devil. So you're sinning. You, know, you just have to get that unsettled. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. Okay? Now, that's not... I really didn't want to talk about... It. Then it says, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. That is the probably one of the only places in the New Testament where it clearly states Jesus' purpose. His, that's that's why He came, was to destroy the works of the devil. Simple, right? That was Jesus' simple mission in life. Pretty simple, right? Just slap. You know, you want a simple mission statement? Hey, my mission statement is to destroy the works of the devil. That's a good one. That's Jesus' mission statement. That's His purpose in life. So if you're looking for a purpose this morning, I would like to say to you that every Christian has a purpose. And I think every Christian, this is part of their purpose. Alright, let's look at this. I'm uh, Luke chapter 10. Of course, Jesus sent the 70 out uh, and they came back and they healed the sick. They cleansed lepers. They delivered de- peoples from demons. People have demons. People still have demons. Believe it or not. Somebody Somebody's in this room this morning probably has demons in their life in some way. You know, I had demons. I, mean, you, I don't think you can live in the world without getting demons, at least getting demon, uh, demonic influences. Uh, and he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That's what Jesus said. He saw that. I saw him fall, man. I was there when he got whipped. Okay, that's what he was saying. I was there when Satan was defeated in heaven. Because you see, there was a battle in heaven. There was a war in heaven. Can can you imagine that? It's probably the only war there ever was in heaven, only war there ever will be, but God let there be a war one time in heaven. And when that war was over with, Satan was beat. He was defeated. So Jesus said, I saw I saw all that. I saw Satan fall. He fell out of heaven. He got kicked. In other words, he got beat and God kicked him out. Just threw him out. Just slammed somebody, came into your house trying to take over. You beat the fire out of them and threw them right out the door. That's really what happened. Behold, I give, then he said, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, but that the spirits are subject to you. Uh, but rather rejoice, because your names are written in heaven. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit, in the Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. Okay. Um, so Jesus saw these 70 guys be real successful in their mission. And Jesus got really excited about what was happening. I mean, that's really what it says. In fact, I'll read you one of the milder comments about that word rejoice. When he, uh, It says, in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit. One of the milder comments, is it says, the Greek word for rejoice suggests shouting and leaping with joy. It's what the Greek word, it suggests shouting and leaping for joy. So Jesus was getting, getting pretty wild. He was shouting. He was jumping up and down happy. Because, number one, he saw his disciples go and do exactly what happened in heaven. And that is, he saw them destroying the works of, of Satan. You got that? And so Jesus was excited about it. That's why he said, I saw the same thing. It's already happened in heaven. You know, Satan's been beaten, and you've gone out and, and done the same thing. And he was excited about it. Jesus was excited that people were healed. Jesus was excited that people were delivered and people's lives were changed. And he rejoiced, leaping up and down, you know, shouting. Uh, You know, there's some more extreme comments on that, like, you know, he jumped up and down like a rubber ball, bounced up and down, (laughs) just so excited. That's Jesus, man. I mean, you know, that's how he is. (coughs) But he's also thankful uh, that simple men just everyday men and women. These weren't even the apostles, man. These were just guys who were following Jesus, so normal guys, just guys that didn't make it into the apostle calling, you know, <laughs> just typical guys that were still fishing and doing carpentry work for a living. They were out doing these tremendous things. So he was he was extremely overjoyed about what happened, that Jesus saw the heaven, kingdom of heaven come to earth, and he was excited because were these, these simple people could do what he... What had already been done in heaven, so here's what the, the story is this: in heaven, Satan was defeated, so and then he was thrown to the earth, then Jesus came to the earth, right, and it said in first John three that Jesus was manifested to destroy the works of Satan, and we know through the cross that Jesus defeated Satan, beat him, defeated him just slam it was no it was all over with Satan was you know it says in Colossians, he's defeated foe he's been made an open show but God left Satan here. He left him on the earth. He left him. And what God is expecting is for us to pick up and do, you know, what's been done two times already. Been beaten beat in heaven, been beat by Jesus on the earth, and now Jesus is looking, at, looking for people who will follow in His footsteps. That's why He got so excited there, is Satan was suddenly defeated by these simple men. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. Believe it or not, that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be, in, be we're supposed to be destroying the works of the devil that are still operational in this earth. You know, even though uh, let me just put it this this way to you, Satan's a defeated foe. Absolutely, no question about it. But let me just tell you this: he, even in his defeated state, every one of us can go and rush him, one on, you know him against all of us, and he would beat us like a drum in his defeated state. Apart from Christ, we're no match. Satan is a very powerful, powerful force, an evil force, a powerful evil force, a defeated powerful evil force, but still in his defeated state, he's more powerful than any man who's ever walked this earth. Okay, so we don't—we're not talking about you know this on a on a natural level. Okay, is everybody with me now so far? Because this is really you know important. Now, so I was out you know recently praying about other things, you know, like, uh, you know, Lord, I got these difficulties in my life here and I need you to help me with this situation and that situation. And the Lord uh, spoke to me and said this, Byron, you know what your problem is? I said, no, I don't know what my problem is. You don't love what I love. That's what he said to me. You do not love what I love. I said, what? What do you mean? And he said, I'm going to show you and he began to show me over the next few days things uh, one of the first things was this simple this is a simple testimony I was listening to the radio listening to somebody there was a church service going on and this person had gotten saved this person had gotten healed gotten delivered and the church just went berserk okay and that was what was happening on this church service they were just wild I mean it was pandemonium in there I mean they're like a bunch of mad people they're crazy I thought And the Lord said to me, why do you feel that way? And he was talking about this subtle offense in my heart that I had about what was going on in that church service. Like, man, they're just way out of control. What is their problem? You know, that's what I was, in the back of my mind, that's what I was feeling. And the Lord said, see, you don't love what I love. That man was saved. That man was healed. That man was delivered and you're not loving it. You're offended because you think you're out of order and you're acting too wild about it, and acting too crazy about it. I thought, ooh, I understand what, you're, what you mean, Lord. I understand that. And then he showed me several other examples. That was the most extreme one. Um, this is another one. Somebody was talking to me about something God had done for them. They were real blessed, and I this subtle jealousy started rising up my heart like, well, they didn't deserve that. And the Lord said to me, I love doing that for people. Why don't you love it? I said, I do love it, Lord, when you're doing it for me. <laughs> you know. So there's all these things that we don't really realize that's in our heart until the Lord begins to show it to us. It's not loving what he loves. And then he gave me this scripture. He said Hebrews 1 9. And I didn't even know what Hebrews 1 9 said, since I don't have that whole chapter memorized yet, but uh <laughs> It says, You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Talking about Jesus. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Now, righteousness, if you study the word righteousness, does not mean what you think it means probably. It doesn't mean just the way you behave. Everybody thinks that's what righteousness is, is is a behavior code. And it does. Behavior is definitely a part of it. But here's a, a very good definition of righteousness. Righteousness is anything that is consistent with the nature of God. That's what right. Anything that is consistent with the nature of God. So Jesus loved anything that was consistent with the nature of God. Now, if you take that and you go to the, what the New Testament definition of the word salvation, okay? When you read the word salvation in the New Testament, and you get a a, a definition of what salvation in the New Testament means, not what. Americans or anybody in the world have made it mean. This this is the real definition of salvation. Salvation is an all-inclusive word signifying forgiveness, healing, prosperity, deliverance, safety, rescue, liberation, and restoration. Christ's salvation is total in scope for the total man. Total in scope for the body, the soul, and the spirit. Now that's what, when the Bible talks about salvation, it talks about all of that. It's not just talking about just, not like just getting somebody to heaven. It is talking about a person's whole life being changed and transformed. That's what salvation is, your whole life being changed, everything. Okay, so Jesus, when we, so we can say Jesus loved, Salvation, right? Because salvation is definitely. So let me ask you this question this morning. We know that God doesn't want anybody to go to hell, right? Now, we can God sin? No, God can't sin. He's not going to sin. Can God get sick? Does He get sick? Does God have cancer? Does He have migraine headaches? No. Does God have demons? You know, because does, does, is God tempted or not? Let's go beyond just tempting because tempting is another. So, But does does God have a... Does He look at pornography on the Internet? You know, does He have this bondage to pornography? Does God commit injustices? You know, does He... No, He doesn't. You see, none of those things are consistent with God's nature. None of them. So what we should do is hate all those things. We should hate them. We should hate them. We should not be loving and I don't think we have a problem with not loving those things but when somebody's sick we should really hate that sickness that's the truth we should hate it when we see a person who's really bound got bond, you know just bound just messed up on the inside so hurt and so all messed up we should hate it instead of thinking bad stuff about that person we should hate what has happened to them and want to be able to see them helped and delivered and set free. Now, when the Lord spoke that to me, this is what I saw. I saw this door crack. And the door was the kingdom of heaven door. And I felt like, you know what? That's it right there. That I can start I can understand that. I can see that. I can see that there's a there's a there's a crack door, and behind that door is the kingdom of heaven. And it has something to do with love and righteousness and hate and lawlessness. Now um, this th- this word companion here. This is really important for you to get. This word it says he's been anointed with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Now who are the, who are his companions? Okay, that's that's so important for us to get this. All right, Com- companion. So because that means when you read that verse, he got the most. He got more than his companions got, but it means his companions got in on it, right? His his companions got the oil of gladness. Are y'all with me on this? I mean, everybody want to be or to be wanting to be glad about something, right? Well, he got the most, but his companion. So that was really what was interesting to me. Now, if you look in Hebrews three, verse one, listen to this: Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, partakers. That word partaker there and that word companion over there in one nine are the exact same word. Okay, You know, words, who can say? that Jesus got anointed with the oil of gladness more than his partakers. Okay? So it says right here that we're partakers of a heavenly calling. Alright? And then in verse 14 it says we have become partakers of Christ. This this is really important. This is really important. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Now, if you look up uh, partakers, I promised I wasn't going to be preaching and teaching and I promise you I'm not. I'm just trying to get you to get this. A partaker, this is what this word means. It means a participant, an associate, a sharer, a partner, a companion. That's what it means. So we could say we're partners with Christ in the heavenly calling. Partners with him. We're associates with him. We are partners. We have become partners. We have become associates with Christ. In other words, what Christ has, we have. We get whatever he has. Jesus had this heavenly calling to come to the earth, to destroy the works of the devil, to cast demons out of people, to deliver people from sickness, to deal with injustices. To help the poor, help the needy. That's what he came to do because all those things are works of the devil. Break poverty off in people. And so that's what he came. But we, he, see, we have a calling to be a partner with him in that. That's what God's called us to do, is to partner with him, to share with him in doing that kind of stuff. Now, that's pretty profound in my book. Y'all just sitting there looking at me like, okay, so. You know, but so I'm telling you, this is what it. This is what when Jesus said, "Let when Father, I prayed the kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven." That we would begin to see that we have this thing that we can share with Christ. In fact, this is what the Bible teaches us. You know, it teaches us. You know, you go and study that word "partakers." It's all over the place. We're partakers of His divine nature. That's what it says. We partake of His divine nature. That's what you call grace 101. That's the basics of grace. Oh, grace says that I partake of His divine nature. Therefore, I get His power to live my Christian life. I don't have to live it myself. That's basic Christianity. But most people don't really understand that. Most people don't have a revelation on that. But this, what I'm talking about here, is even going beyond that. This is grace 201. 201. Grace one oh one deals with you. Christ being your life, Christ enabling you to live your personal Christian life. That's what grace, the revelation the basic revelation of grace is it enables you to be a Christian, it enables you to do what's impossible to do, and that is to live the life that Christ lived. To walk that life out. But then the Lord says, Well, listen, I don't want you just to live, I want you to do also what I did. I got this power to go and destroy the works of the devil. And that's really when, when He says, we're going to partake of this heavenly calling also. Are you all with me on that? This is, this is where you've got to go with your life. If you're going to really be everything God's called you to be, you've got to get the basic thing, the 101 of grace down pat, that I don't have to live the Christian life. I can't live it. It's stupid to try. you failure. Of course you are. He never meant for us to live it. He meant for Him to live it in you. And you do this by submitting to Him and bowing to Him and saying, I submit, I humble myself. And by doing that, He says, Okay, then, if you will humble yourself and you will acknowledge to Me that you can't do it, I'll do it for you as long as you stay in that state of heart, state of mind. But then He says, Okay, now that you're doing that, you're living your life like that, guess what? There's things to be done. There's devils out there. You know? There's sickness out there. There's poor people out there. There's people who are bound out there. They need to be. They need somebody to help them get the thing that I want them to get. What you got? They need to be set free. These people got this poverty mentality on them. Are y'all are y'all good with that? So, um, listen. The word uh, partake. Let me finish that profound understanding that I have on that. <laughs> I love this. The word uh, is uh, for partake, it's a combination. Uh, It means, there's two words. It's meta, M-E-T-A, and echo. It means with, to have. That's the literal with, to have. So with Him, we have. That's what it's saying. With Him, we have the heavenly calling. With Him, we have Christ, which is the anointing one, the anointing of Christ in us, with Him. Apart from him, as Chuck Swindoll said years ago, the seven most important words in the Bible, is apart from me, you can do nothing. <laughs> you know, Big Chuck was right. <laughs> you can't do anything apart from Christ. So there's where I got to, gave you the Scripture, Second Corinthians 4, 7, which has been a long-time favorite verse of mine. But we have, have literally means echo. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. That's us, earthen. That we echo this treasure. Isn't that just a beautiful picture of what we have? Is the the life of Christ is being echoed in us. I'm into echoes. Okay, that's why I love this verse so much. When I was a kid, we had huge gardens that were down this flat that you could go down there in the cool of the evening and yell and hear yourself. So we'd go down and yell at ourselves, kids just yelling, hey, and you'd hear this echo, hey. What are you doing? What are you doing? I mean, it was fun to do, to go do that. You know, you were echoing, you know, and then somebody would do stuff and save stuff back to you. You know, who was that? That was no echo. But when I found out this word have means echo, I thought about that and thought, man, that's what's happening. God has thrown this this sound into the earth, and it's hit us. You know what I'm saying? And it bounces out of us and goes out into the earth. That's that's what he wants us to do. And he says, you know, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. It's not us, it's God. It's God who's going to do this in us and through us. He wants to do it. That's the kingdom of heaven. We have a heavenly calling. We have a heavenly calling. We share in Christ's heavenly calling. Isn't that profound? It really is profound and all of a sudden you say, Lord, I don't love what you love. I really don't. I don't. I didn't love it. Um, But, you know, then that's the beginning. Listen to this. We then, 2 Corinthians 6, 1 through 2, as workers together with him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, In acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. I have helped you, I've heard you, I've heard you, I've helped you. That's what Jesus did for us. The problem is it's just stopped in us, you know, parked. can't be that way. Echoes have to go out. And then he said, Behold, now is the accept- accepted ta- time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Behold, now is the day for deliverance. Behold, now is the day to break the bondages of poverty in people. Behold, now is the day to heal the sick. Behold, now is the day to open blind eyes. Behold, now is the day to deliver. Behold, now is the day to preach the gospel to the poor. Behold, now is the day to help the discouraged and the downcast. Behold, now is the day, you know, fill in the blank. Now is the day. That's, that's what Paul was saying. Now's the time. There's no time like now. There's no time like now to go to the next level with God. That means this. I've understood and I'm learning how to walk out a life of grace. I'm learning how to let Christ live His life through me. Now, God wants to teach me how to let Him do work through me, to let Him heal the sick through me, to let Him raise the dead through me. To open. I told you a long time ago, if you were here, you probably wasn't. I said, the revelation of grace ultimately leads to the raising of the dead and it does it, re- it will that's what happens it's the grace of God you know it's going to open it's going to raise the dead we're going to raise the dead if we'll go with God he raised the dead sounds pretty uh, like reaching for the stars but that's not really the truth God wants to raise the dead oh we're just so sitting here we don't even believe this we want to come to church and we want to have everything compact and nice we can't deal with the bad stuff we can't deal when things happen. We can't deal when demons come. We can't deal when people, we pray for people. We say it's church, you can't do that stuff in church. Jesus would say, that's not true. He would say, baloney to that this morning. He would say, your way of thinking about church is baloney. It's not true. It's not true. That's what he would say to us. It's not true what you think. This is the truth. When somebody gets healed, I get happy. I get, you know, I bounce up and down like a rubber ball. Why don't you love what I love, Byron? I'm talking to myself. Why don't you love that, Byron? Why, why, why? Have you spent your life just dating stuff? You don't love what I love. It was God cried out to me. God in me saying, I want you to love these things. And if you'll love them, you can do them. Because you'll change your value system. You will change your value system. And you'll say... Heck, it's more important for a person to get healed than for somebody to preach. That would be a daggone sin. Some people are thinking. Now, I'm going to get fussed at when I get home. So, if you're feeling mad at me right now, don't worry. I get fussed at. I have this vision. I really have a vision for a church that people could come to church and find God. That's really the truth. And, the, and, the, and Jesus would heal those people and set them people free. Now, that would be a good vision, I think. I would want to go to a church like that. Yeah. So... um, Anyways, we need to forgive some people. That's salvation. Anybody want to get anything against get somebody? Hey, I want to forgive that person. How about you? No, I really don't, Lord. I would like to slap them.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I want to forgive them now. <laughs> you know? So the Lord really gets you on every level, you know. Anyways... uh I told this little story to a few people the other day. This is really the truth. A friend of mine is, we were at the beach last summer and he decides we're sitting at the dinner table and with bunches of teenagers and several adults and he decides he's going to preach his message on the kingdom of heaven. He starts preaching his message and nobody's listening to him except me, you know. And uh, it was a tremendous man. I thought, man, that's the Lord. That really is. I told him that. I said, "Robin, this is Rob McMillan. He's been here, y'all know him." I thought, man, that that was really the Lord what you was saying. It was really. Hey, yeah, I knew somebody. The Lord was speaking to somebody. Said, yeah. So then, uh, this past fall, we talked on the phone, and he starts preaching the same message to me again. Sitting there, listening to it, he said, "I've said this to you, yeah." Just went right over his head. Just, Voof. I mean, Lord, what are you trying to say to me? You know. What are you trying to say to me? Then last week, went out to suffer with him. We're eating, me, him and Becky sitting there eating. Guess what? Starts preaching this message again. And he looked at me and said, Have I ever told you about this? He was sincere, he wasn't I said, Yeah, three times actually. And he said, Oh, uh and he looked sort of like, I'm sorry, I didn't you know. I said, No, no, don't be sorry. And so I sent him an email, thanked him, and said, "Well, you, you know, you got any, you got any counsel, man, about this? Because this is obviously the Lord. It's really been speaking to me. And because that day I really got the got roughed up on the forgiving somebody thing, <laughs> you know. And the Lord was saying, I want to forgive them. I love forgiving. I was really getting into to what I'm trying to tell you.'" And he said, wrote me back and said, "Well, all, you know, the hard thing about it is this." And he gave me this scripture here. Let me give it to you. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. And he said, "You know, that's you know, the difficulty. You have to, you have to go after this thing. You know, you can't. It's not just going to the door's cracked, but you got to go through it. You got to push your way through the door. You can't just." Because if the door's cracked, it means you can go through it. It may not be wide open, but that tends to be the way God shows me things. He doesn't, hey, look at that big wide, there's a crack in that door, that means the door's unlatched. If you want to come on in, come in. If you don't, stay where you're at until you decide you want to. So you just start heading heading that way. Um, so um, I think you really have to, really what the Lord was saying, you really have to make a determination. You have to be intentional you have to decide what values you're gonna hold. Okay? What's your values spiritually? What's more important to you? That's that's what you gotta determine. What's the most important things? And you're gonna put these things on the top of your list. And those are the things that you're gonna pursue and then the other things go down at the bottom of the list. And if they happen to you happen to be able to do all them other things and then those you can still do stuff and you can do those things in the lower part of the list. You understand what I'm saying? You have to make a choice, a decision about this. Okay? You can't come to church and listen to a message about it and expect something to happen automatically. It just is not going to happen that way. You're going to have to make some decisions about what you want out of life, what you want out of your Christian life. If you want that, you go after that. People do what they want to do, honestly. We All of us do. only stuff we don't, you know, we go to work, we don't want to work, but we have to, or we'd starve, so we go to work. You know what I'm saying? So you have to make a decision. You have to start rearranging your values. The Bible says that Jesus loved righteousness. Now, that word for love there is agape, and the only way you can have that kind of love, it has to be God loving that through you. You're making a choice to let God do something in you is what you're doing. That's really what you're You're not going to, I'm not going to build up all this big love stuff, you know. I was pleasantly, honestly, I was real happy, not just pleasant. I was very happy when I found out that was agape love and not just fondness love. Like, man, man, it takes the pressure off of me. I, can, I know I can't do that. I, there's no way I can love righteousness. Lord, that's flat, slim, done deal. If it was a brotherly kind of love, I could muster up some brotherly love, fondness love. But if it's God love, forget it. I can't do it. Great, I can't do this. Hallelujah! It's another thing I can't do. You know, but God can do it in you. It set me free when I found out you've loved. Oh man, I got to go love something I don't really love. No, I don't have. I can't love it, God. All I'm saying, though, I'm telling you this: I'm willing, Lord, for you to let that love be released in my life. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. I'm going to set my face towards that, and you you will do that. You will cause me to love what you love. You will cause me to love what you love. You will love what you love through me. Here's your opportunity, Lord. You want somebody to love what you love? I'm saying I'm signing on. You know what I'm saying? That's what we, we sh- can do. And then it says, uh, Are you all with me? Time to go there. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Um, So, God gives us a hunger for this. A supplied hunger. A supplied thirst for this. It started with me back when I started asking the Lord about it. That was even God to get me to ask Him. You know, I didn't drum that up. He put the desire in me to look at my life and say, my life doesn't line up with what the Bible lines up with. I don't want my life to be like this. I want my life to be different, Lord. I want I want my life to make a difference, God. I want to do what you've called me to do on this earth. I want to get my life right and be the way you want it. That was God who put the desire in me. And, you know, he's just been working working in my life since then. Uh, so I think here's where you can begin. This is where I begin. I have a religious... I have a religious mindset. i got religion working on me. Okay? i got religion working on me. Religion saying, nah, those people are acting too crazy. They shouldn't be doing that. That's, I, we're all affected to some level by a religious spirit. Whether we want to believe it or not, there's a powerful spirit out there. It's a religious spirit. Some are more affected than others, but even some of the most what you'd call some of the most free people in the world, there's some of the most religious people in the world. You think they're free on the outside, but they're just so religious they can't stand it. You know? So what we had to do is say, Lord, I'm being influenced by these other things that are dictating to me what's right and what's wrong, what I should like and what I shouldn't like. That's what I did. I just said, Lord, I mean, I'm fighting through this religious thing that's over me, just trying to get me to not love what you love. And I, I admit that to you. I confess that to you. And that will set you free. And you can just... So we have to decide this. Okay, let's, let's go after this. Let's go after this. Let's go after that. Does anybody want to go after it? All right. Yeah. You'll see what this man has to say.
2: I just have a testimony about it. And it's a couple of years old, maybe two or three years old, but it's burning and I need to say it. And there were a few years ago, Ann and I went to church. And it was not this church, it was a different church. And we were sitting there in the congregation and the pastor called everybody up to do something, to pray for somebody, I believe. But I was sitting in the church and I was not in a good place. I was in a real bad place. And and I was striving and fighting within myself and I was unhappy and I'll tell you what happened is that Anne and I were sitting near each other next to each other and the pastor called us up to not us particularly, but called the congregation up to pray for everybody. And I couldn't stand it. And I got up and my wife got up and we moved forward and And she turned left to go pray for these folks, and I turned right and walked out of the church. And I don't know why, but we had driven separate cars that day. And I walked out of the church and got in my car and drove away because I could not stand to be there. And, you know, it was Sunday morning, and I didn't know what I was doing. My family was at church, and I was running away from them. So I went to another church that I didn't know anything about and I just sat through the service but I was running from my family and I was running from God and I turned my cell phone off and I made sure I couldn't be reached and, uh, and it was bad there was nothing good about it but ultimately the Lord started to speak to me and ultimately I went home and course my wife was pretty disturbed and upset and she said you know Larry what's wrong and she and I went into the bedroom and we spent some time talking and there was some confession and repentance and forgiveness and uh, we worked through some things and we prayed together and my children were upset because this was not normal behavior and so the children were invited to come into the bedroom, and there was more discussion and repentance and forgiveness, and, and we prayed together. And uh, so there was, uh, well, there was righteousness being manifest in what was evil before that. And so now it's like, I don't know, maybe 3 o'clock in the afternoon on a, on a Sunday afternoon. And I remember that, uh, you know how when you have a headache and then the headache's gone and you feel so good when it's gone? Well, here we'd been, you know, we'd been in sin and conflict and then we had worked through it and we were starting to feel so much better because we'd worked through it. And uh, it was 3 o'clock and I hadn't had lunch. And I said, I'm going to go make a sandwich because I was hungry. And uh, and I walked into the kitchen. This is the house we're living in now. And I walked from our bedroom into the kitchen and stretched out in the middle of our kitchen floor was about a four-foot black snake just laying right in the middle of the kitchen floor. And I remember the first words out of my mouth. I screamed. I said, Honey, what does it mean? (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, as soon as I said that, you know, the snake started to kind of shrink up and get all wiggly and bumpy. And somebody tells me that that's what snakes do when they're afraid. And I don't know if it's what they do or not. But it's what this snake did. And, uh, you know, I was I was screaming and yelling. And, uh, you know, I uh, remember Daniel had to go get the dog and constrain the dog. And I picked up the snake between a golf golf club and a tennis racket. And took it outside and threw it in the bushes. And, um, and you know, I thought about it later, and I thought, you know, Satan's the deceiver, and he's hidden to us, and we don't see him. But when we when we go to the cross, then Satan's revealed for who he is, and he's a harmless serpent that we can pick up and throw into the bushes. And we don't need to be—we don't need to be scared of him. And there's no venom. You know, when we're with Christ,
0: he's harmless. Well, you know, the sad thing would be to come to church and hear a message and just go on and do the same thing next week, next month, next year. We can't do that anymore, honestly. I think we had to make a decision of where we're going to go, and my vote is let's go for destroying the works of the devil. My vote is let's decide. Well, we need to find out, when Lord. We just we just don't want to be religious no more, Lord. We don't want we want to do what you've called us to do. We really do. We really want to, to we want to do what you've shown us to do with our lives. Even if it's not the vogue thing, the in-vogue thing. And even if it's, it goes against your own personal feelings and identity and all that stuff. I think you have to decide those things. I think a church has to decide that. What's important to it? You know, what is important? And then you, well, if it's if it's truly important, you'll go do it. I think that's what has to happen, as I think people had to make a decision in their life. That's really what God did in my life. He brought me to a place and basically said, "This, this is what I have for your life now. Do you want it?" If you want it then you can get it. And but you gotta you know you gotta go with me on it. You gotta walk you know, walk it out with me and I'll I'll get you there. And it means you have to rearrange your values and what your intent is. And that's that's really what I feel like God wants to do. So what do you want to do? That's, yeah, that's the question. What do you want to do?
1: I feel like if I got up here and gave you the full word God gave me, it would beat the fire out of you. So I'm going to hold it and because you've been through a whole lot already this morning. <coughs> but I wanted to, to just give you a little preview of what God wants to say to you. And this is it those of you that want to be prophets, those of you that want that God's got the teaching on your heart to be a teacher, those of you that have a healing ministry, those of you that have a pastoral gift, um, those of you that God has calling on your life. Now, if God doesn't have a calling on your life, I'm not speaking to you this morning. Honest to God, God's got a calling on every single one of you. You just don't know it yet, and you don't know what it is. But the, the, I'll give you the word next week on what it is, but I'll tell you this. If you're hating your uh, boss and you're hating your job and you're hating your school and you're hating your parents, then you're not going to come in to what God has for because God is using those things to prepare you for what you got to do, and I'm not gonna stop. That.